All right. Well, you guys ready to move on? You guys ready to move on? Let's continue with our series, Elf. And you remember last week we started off and Elf realized that he didn't fit. It wasn't, it, it, something was different about him. And yeah, he could change the batteries in the smoke detector every six months. And it just wasn't a good fit. And there's times in all of our lives that we come across something and we begin to realize that this life we're living isn't a good fit. Something isn't right with our lives. We're out of place. We're out, no matter what concert we go to and no, no matter who we talk to, and it seems like over and over things just don't fit. And Buddy the Elf came to that point. He came and he said, okay, something's not right. We, I, I don't fit here. And finally he's told, well, it's because you're not an elf. And we explored and talked about C.S. Lewis's comment that if I have a desire for something that nothing in this world or this earth can fulfill, the most logical conclusion is that I was made for something else. And so Buddy realizes, oh, maybe I was made for something else. Maybe I was designed for something else. And so what he does in the movie is that he sets out and he begins to go and he begins to try to find his father. So that's where we're going to pick up today. All right. <laughs> well, he found his dad, right? He found his father, and his father wasn't quite what he was expecting, and his father had no idea because his father thought, oh, this is just a singing Christmas Graham, and he's going to sing a song, and he'll leave, and I can get on with my work, and I appreciate it, and whatever, that's a nice move. But no, it was really he found his father, and all of us, like Buddy, are designed to search for our father. We are designed, we, when we get to that point in life where we're like, I've tried all of this stuff in life. Maybe, I, maybe I've tried drugs. Maybe, maybe I've tried sleeping around. And maybe, maybe I've tried having money, and maybe I've tried this, or I've tried that, and nothing seems to work, God says, as we talked about last week, we are designed to begin to search and search and search, and God's okay with us searching because it is a characteristic of him, and because we are designed in his image, we search because God searches. Seems kind of odd, doesn't it? It seems like it doesn't fit, and yet the Bible tells us in Psalm chapter 14, verse 2, in the Amplified Version, it tells us this, the Lord has looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand and act wisely, who truly seek after God, longing for his wisdom and guidance. God is looking for people that search for him. God's looking for people that seek out his wisdom and his guidance. God says, I look down to the sons of men and I'm trying to find people that want to listen to me. I'm trying to find people that want to hear what I have to say. I'm trying to find people that will let me help guide their lives. Because their lives will begin to be so much more full and so much more rich and if you've ever seen the movie, you know that that's exactly what happens to Buddy. His life becomes more full and more rich because now not only is he 
connected to the folks at the North Pole, but now he's found his dad, and throughout the course of the movie, as we'll find out, his dad comes around and he begins to have more of a meaning for life, a more fulfilled life, because he's connected with his dad, and God is looking for people that seek him. Now, Buddy does a couple of things, and for the rest of the sermon, I want to talk about those two things that Buddy does. The first thing that Buddy does is that he left where he was and went to a new place. Buddy says, I have to change. It's at that point in our lives where we're ready for salvation, where we say, I have to change. What I'm doing is not working. I have to get away from where I'm at and go and do something different and something new. But what I want to talk to you about for the next few moments is that change. If you followed me at all on Facebook or, or in other places, you know that recently I've written a book. And that book is Delta to Victor, and it's 22 Days to Change. Because change is difficult. And yet it's the only, or likely the only consistent in life. Change is the only consistent in life. And yet we dread change. And so I wrote this 22-day devotional to help you with change, to help all of us with change. And somebody messaged me last night, and they said, I got your book, and I'm trying to answer the questions in the devotional, and it's hard. These are hard questions. Because why? Because inherently, we want to sit on the couch, eat the chips, and watch the movie. We don't really want to change. And we come to Jesus, say, something needs to change, and Jesus goes, okay, let's change, but our lives, we get, we're stuck in the ruts. We're, struck, we're stuck in what we're used to. We, we don't know how to do any different, and we don't know what to do, but Jesus says, but I'm going to change you. And one of the things that makes change so difficult is what's known in the business world as the acceptance curve. If you put that up there, when you decide to make a change, if you think about all the people in your life, you could probably put them on a bell curve. And any time when I was running projects at a Fortune 50 company, I always took into account the acceptance curve. Because when I ran projects, I promised you I'd have people spread across this curve when it came time to institute a change. Anytime you institute change, you're going to have people in different sections. On the far right, you have your trailblazers. You have 2%. If you think of all the people in your life, only 2% are going to invest in the change with you. I don't mean being for you. I mean willing to invest and labor with you in the change. 2%. When you are running a team or a company and you say, hey, we're going to make a change, statistically it's about 2% that are willing to change. And they're, they're going to sacrifice for it. Go ahead and put that back up. Those people are called trailblazers. This is why when you come to Jesus, most of the people are like, 
Yeah, that's nice. So they fall back in here somewhere. Only 2% of your friends, when you decide to start living for Jesus and start removing stuff out of your life that shouldn't be there, most people are not there. This is why it makes following Jesus so difficult. Even though this is a business principle, I find it to be true in all areas of life. The next group of people are your early adapters. That's about 18%. 18% of the people, when you say, I'm going to go out and make a change, 18% of them are going to be for you. They're going to cheer for you, but they're not going to invest in labor and sweat and tears with you. This is why it's so difficult for people who battle addictions because most of their friends are over in here somewhere, and they try to get out, and they're like, well, what are you Okay, yeah, good, go, go, go. But they're not willing to sit up at 3 a.m. when you're having the craving. They're not willing to sit up at 3 a.m. with you. Only 2% are willing to sit up at 3 a.m. with you. It's the reality. We don't like change. The early adapters will cheer for you, but they won't sweat for you. They won't, they won't get in with you. They won't invest emotion. They won't invest money. They won't invest with you. The vast majority of people are the middle adapters. And most of us in this room are the middle adapters. What do I mean by that? Well, the middle adapters say, well, when I start to see the change, I'll get on board. I'll believe it when I see it. How many of you have ever said, I'll believe it when I see it? Raise your hands. Okay. All right. Guess what? Shame. Shame, 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 shame. That's not even biblical. The Bible says, believe it, then you'll see it. You have to believe first. And I'm going to talk about belief because that's the second part of this sermon in a minute. But the middle adapters are the people that sit back and go, well, let's see what happens. I'm kind of, I think it might be a good idea, but boy, I see a lot of problems with that. So I'm just going to sit back and wait and see what happens. And they never jump on board. They just wait. They just wait. This is why when you're trying to do something big for a community or trying to do, this is why it's so hard because the vast majority of the people, 60 18, that is 80% of the people will either wait and see what happens or the next group, the late adapters, they're going to wait till almost the vast majority are on board and then they'll get on board. Well, let's see if it really happens and see if it really takes off and we'll just wait and see if this Jesus thing's really for real and we're just going to sit back and wait. And they're going to just, just kind of sit back and wait and scoff and I'm not really sure. And they're going to go on with their life. And don't get me wrong, they're not mean. They're not mean people. They're your friends. I mean, you like them. You hang out with them. You, you go out to eat with them. You go to movies with them. But they're just late adapters. They just don't. And then the last 2%, you might as well forget it. You're never going to win them over. You're never going to convince them. They're never going to be a Christian, even though you've given your life to Jesus. They're never going to stop the addiction. They're never going to stop. They're never going to. And if you try to make a massive change in a team or in a company, these are the people that will walk. They just don't want it. They want nothing to do with it. They'll leave. And that's okay, because you don't need those people. You don't need those people in your life. I, now, when I say you don't need them in your life, that doesn't mean you have to be mean to them. It's just, this is where they are. This is who they are. They don't want to change. They'll never change. It's always been this way, and we're not going to change. Right? And so these people are like, if I can just use a, a, flying, a flying analogy, because I enjoy flying, these are the... the, the these last 20%, these are creating drag on your airplane. Your airplane's trying to move forward, but there's so much wind going this way, it's creating drag and it's slowing you down. The, the late adapters will never adapt. 
This is why when, when you give your life to Christ and you're going forward and moving forward, these, these are the people that just aren't going to be with you. They'll leave you. These friends will leave you and walk away. The late adapters might even walk away. Why? Because you're pushing forward. You're blazing a new trail spiritually with Jesus. You're blazing a new trail with your family. You're trying to be a better wife, a better husband. Yeah, that's great. Say the early adapters, middle adapters. I'll believe it when I see it. I'm going to wait for everybody to get on board, and I'll never get on board. It's true. It's just statistically, usually, that's the way it plays out. And this is why change is so hard. This is why when you decide, I'm going to seek more of God, and I'm going to go more after God, the vast majority of people are going to be like, okay, whatever that means. And then when they start to see changes in your life, they see your attitude change, maybe your languages, you stop using some of the words you use used to using, or you're listening to different type of music that's more uplifting and more Christian, people don't, it just, we don't like change. We don't want to move. But you know what happens? Those two percenters, you know who those two percenters are? They're the Thomas Edisons, the Henry Fords, the Bill Gates. They're those people that we all read about because they shaped a culture. They shaped something. They decided that it, the norm wasn't good enough. When Buddy sets out, he goes, okay, the norm at the North Pole is fine, but something's not right. I've got to change. Right? And if you watch the movie, you'll see an elf in every category here. Because change is difficult for us. Change is tough. But Buddy says, I can't stay here. I have to make a change. Something has to change. Something's got to be different. And all of us in our life at some point reach that and say, I got to change. I have to shift. I have to move on and do different. And now we get into the second point of the sermon, and that's belief. Some people believe you have to change, and they're going to change and make a difference. And some people don't believe you need to change at all. And most people just believe whatever they see because they're content with their own life. And they don't want to make that change. And so this is the importance of belief. When Buddy in the movie finds his dad, he finds his dad disinterested. He finds his dad aloof. He finds his dad too busy. His, his dad doesn't really believe it. His dad's just kind of there. And for most people, that's how they view God. He's just there. He's aloof. He's got other stuff to do. I can't bring, this hangnail really hurts, and it won't come out. And I don't want to pray about it because God's got starving people in Africa to deal with. He cares for you as much as he cares about the starving person. So pray to him about your hangnail. I know that's a goofy, silly example, but it's true. It's true. And here's another problem with that thought. I can't pray to God because he's got all these other bigger issues to deal with. That thought says that God operates in time and space. He doesn't. God operates outside of time and outside of space. It, it, he operates in a completely different dimension that we aren't even, we can't even comprehend. 
You see, you and I, I've shared this analogy before, you and I are stuck in this aquarium like fish. And this aquarium that we live in is called time and space. And we bump into the edges here and there. But God sits outside of our aquarium. And God can hear the knock at the door and realize he needs to feed the fish and put the castle back in the aquarium because he pulled the castle out. You know, the little castle in the aquarium. You guys with me? You're just staring at me and just make sure. Right? God is aware of so much more. And as big and as dynamic as this earth is and as wonderful and as amazing as humans are, we're still in an aquarium, people. And so you praying about your job is just as important to God about as, a, as the starving person in Africa. God doesn't operate in time or in, or in resources. Well, God's only got so many resources. No, his resources are infinite. Infinite. I don't want to take up God's time. I don't want to take up God's resources. What? Is, what? That's not even in his dimension. When you get to heaven, there is no concept of time. If you have loved ones, today at 2 o'clock at Ford Street, I'm privileged and honored to be a part of a remembrance service for anybody that's lost, lost a loved one recently, and I'll be handing out uh, ornaments to those that have lost loved ones recently. But I want to tell you something about your loved ones who have gone on before you. They have no concept of time anymore. Time doesn't exist in heaven. The first day you get to heaven is just as real, and here I have to add time to it because I don't understand. The first day in heaven is just as real to you as the millionth day. It's, like, it's just like you perpetually keep opening presents all the time. That feeling that when you get something new and fresh, you get that new truck or you get that new and you're excited about it, that's like heaven all the time, every second, every minute. That's what heaven feels like. And do you grow old of that? No, because there's no concept of time. And I don't want to get into any more philosophy because this isn't philosophy class. But that's the way heaven is. God is not aloof. Here's the problem. Here's where we run into our problem. Often your relationship with your earthly father impacts your view of your heavenly father. Often your relationship with your earthly father impacts the view you have of your heavenly father. And some people didn't grow up with er good earthly dads. Maybe your dad struggled. Maybe your dad had anger problems. Maybe your dad was abusive. Maybe your dad was a good Christian guy, but I got news for you. Even the best Christian person still battles sin from time to time. Everybody battles sin. Me, St. Ignatius, I mean, you name it. Everybody battles sin. So even the best Christian on earth, I don't care who you name, what preacher you name, everybody at some point battles sin. It might be pride. It might be lying. It might be fear. It might be gluttony. It might be whatever it is. And so even a good earthly dad still struggles. But the earthly father is perfect. In fact, John, John 3.16 through 18, we all... We all hear John 3.16 a lot, but do you go on and read verses 17 and 18? Let's start with verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. 
God says, I didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn you and make you feel guilty and show you how horrible you are. Because I sent him into the world to show you that I love you and that I'm for you and that I'm with you. Do you believe it? And there's the crux of every argument and every debate that you will ever see on Facebook or social media or ever have with your coworker or your neighbor where you place your belief. Let me get political just for a minute. Very, oh no, right? You, you've got blue on one side, you've got red on the other side, you've got your independence. And if you scroll through social media, especially with all of the things going on right now in the government, somebody's going to say, give you a fact on this side, and somebody's going to give you a fact on that side, and, and the independent's going to give you a fact on this side, and, and they're going to point to all of these things and all of these debates, whether gun laws or abortion or what you name it. They're all going to give you their viewpoint, their facts, their data. doesn't mean anything. What does mean something? Because what are they all after? They're all after your belief. Where you have a belief... God has given you the ability to believe. And so whether you're the saint or the atheist, the atheist believes there's no God. The saint believes there is a God. What do you do with your belief? Where you place your belief will direct your life. And then you have to battle the change and the two percenters on either end of that spectrum. Where you place your belief is what matters. Because I can sit up here, I've got friends on both sides of the aisle. i got friends that are, that, are, that are so far one way, and I've got other friends that are so far the other way. And they're always giving me this data and these facts, and I'm like, guys. But God's given us all the ability to believe. What do you do with that? That's what matters. What do you do with your belief? Where do you place it? What do you do with it? You can put your belief in man, you can put your belief in data, you can put your belief in science, you can put your belief in politics, but guess what happens? Then you are stuck, perpetually trying to outprove and outmaneuver the next person. Well, that data says that, yeah, but this says this. Or you put your belief in God, and you put your belief in what he values, trust, love, hope, patience. And guess what? I'm not stuck trying to outdo my neighbor now. I'm not stuck trying to outthink my neighbor. I'm not, I'm not stuck trying to one-up the next guy to prove that my belief is right. Where you place your belief makes all the difference in the world. All the difference in the world. So the question is, where do I place my belief? Acts 17, verses 29 through 31. We looked at this passage last week. Therefore, as God's offspring, we have no need to imagine that the divine being is like gold, silver, or stone image made by human skill and thought. God overlooks ignorance of these things in times past, but now directs everyone everywhere to change their hearts and lives. This is because God has set a day when he intends to judge the world justly by a man he has appointed that man being Jesus, God has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. God goes, you want my proof? It's right there. Now, what do you believe? Where do you place your belief? 
I'm not talking about your intellectual opinion. I'm talking about your heart, your belief, who you are. One of the other things that I talk about in my devotional is I define the heart. What is the heart? Well, follow your heart. Your heart's in it. You know, I'll wear my heart on my sleeve. And we say all this stuff. What does that mean? I talk about it in my podcast as well. What is your heart and where do you place it? See, God has a purpose for your life. His purpose is for you to, as we talked about at the beginning, his purpose is for you to seek him, to find him, to know him, and to follow him. That's what he wants. He wants a relationship with you. The reason you have the ability to search things out is because that's a characteristic of God. Because as we read earlier, God is seeking and looking for the people that want to connect with him. He's not up there. He's not aloof. He's not like Buddy's dad up there and aloof. Like, oh, I have a son? No, he's, I've got children that I want to love and I want to care for. The question now is where you place your belief. Will you reach out and establish a relationship with the Heavenly Father by believing in his son, Jesus Christ, and as a result, receive forgiveness of sin, or you continue to put your belief in other things and put your belief in other places? But by doing that, I can tell you this, you will perpetually for the rest of your life be suppressing what inside of you, what your heart already knows. Because the Bible tells us that inside of each of us, God has placed eternity. It's there. We seek for it. We long for it. We look for it. And in a few minutes, I'm going to give you the opportunity to make that decision. I'm going to give you the opportunity to make the decision to follow Jesus if you haven't made that decision. But for those of you that have made that decision, where are you placing your belief? Because that makes all the difference in the world. Let's stand up. If I can, if I could ask Aaron and Lori to come down on this side, and if I could ask Lynn and Jesse to come down on this side, and I'm going to, I'm going to say a prayer, and as I pray, I want you to search your heart. Do you really, really believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Because our Father, our Heavenly Father, is not aloof writing children's books and doesn't really care if we exist or not. He is seeking, as the Bible says, He is seeking us. This morning, I had a little incident, and I'll share this. Couldn't find my phone. And I was looking all over the house, and I'm like, I just went from the bedroom to the garage, and I just followed that path. I'm like, where could my phone be? It's gone. It's missing. I was searching and searching and searching. And you know what? Lynn calls my phone, and she begins to search for my phone as I'm searching and we both found my phone. You see, when two people are searching for the same, when two beings are searching for the same thing, they will find it. And I promise you that if you begin to look and search for God, and he's looking and searching for you, you will find one another, and it will be the most glorious event and a wonderful change of your life. You might be wondering where my phone was. It was right here in my back pocket the whole time. 
she called me and started vibrating back here. And I was like, oh, wait. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are searching for us. And unlike Buddy's dad, you're not aloof, you're not out there. But we are like Buddy, and we are out of place, and the world seems big and strange, and so many different things going on that we are searching for you. And Lord, even after we find you, it doesn't stop. We only grow towards you and grow to know you. As in the movie, Buddy begins to grow and know his father. Lord, I pray that we would begin to grow and know you. And I lift up, Lord, I lift up everybody that's here today that maybe they don't know you. Maybe they're searching for answers in life. Lord, I want to give them the opportunity to know you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I believe that God is going to give you the courage to step out of your seat and accept and follow him. I believe God's going to give you that courage. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, or if you need prayer for anything else in your life, maybe there's a relationship, maybe there's a health issue, maybe there's an emotional issue that you don't know how to handle something, we're going to pray. We want to pray with you. If you want to come forward at this time and let us pray for you. If you're here this morning, and you want to accept Jesus, but maybe you're afraid to step out of your seat and come forward. I want to invite you to go to the Connect table and get a card and fill out one of those blue Connect cards and write down there that you want to accept Jesus. And I'll call you this week and we can just have a chat over the phone about what it means to accept Christ. All heads and eyes back up here as we close out with song. They'll be up front. They want to pray with you. Believe God with you.